following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. We're going to look at mm, the Bible. Uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, chapter 1, verse, start at verse 29 this morning, and that's page 836 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, so you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, I don't know if you know um, the significant um, date on the calendar that passed uh, this past week. Um, very important holiday. National Chocolate Day. <laughs> yeah, well, the dad tax was very high this year, I, I will admit, on that candy. Yes, Daniel? It's Reformation Day. Yes, absolutely. Reformation Day. It's November 1st. Um, 502 years ago, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the, uh, on the door of the church at Wittenberg. Um, pointing out the, the ways that the teaching of the Catholic Church at the time was wrong and not accordant to Scripture. And uh, that uh, was the birth of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, and um, the fact that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, was not taught in the church, um, but now is as a result of the work of Martin Luther and other reformers, uh, many other people as well, uh, gave their life for the freedom that we enjoy and take for granted sometimes. So that's a chocolate is great and everything, but the Reformation is really, really good. Um, so anyway, let's pray together and we'll uh, we'll get to work. Father, we are grateful to be together here as a family this morning. We thank you for the wonderful celebrations that we've been able to enjoy, a celebration of, um, of marriage, um, of Andrew and Danielle, and also the celebration of life of those that have served this community well. Um, we're just uh, we're grateful, Lord, for how you've been at work this past week. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would continue to work in our hearts this morning as we turn our attention to your word um, May you fill us with your spirit once again and understand the message that you have for us here in Scripture. Um, and may we submit our lives to it, um, Lord, out of obedience and love. For we do love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of, the, one of my favorite movies when I was a kid was Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom, by far. Um, not a lot of great theology in this particular movie or series of movies, but um, I think there's a very telling point in that movie uh, that the movie makes, uh, and that is what the world at large really thinks religion is all about. Um, now, for those of you who have seen this movie, I'll do my best to be uh, accurate, and if you haven't seen the movie... You don't know the difference. So it's, um, the movie describes um, the pagan god Kali and how all the followers of Kali were kind of mindless zombies 
uh, under the control of Kali's evil high priest. Um, and one scene depicts all the followers of of this pagan god Kali in this in this big cavern, this big cave, uh, and they're bowing down to this big, ugly, gross statue, um, and they're just kind of like on hands and knees and moaning and rocking back and forth, and um, while the, the the evil priest is sacrificing people by lowering them in a cage down into boiling lava. Very uplifting movie. Really, it is. There's voodoo dolls, and there's booby traps, and there's chilled monkey brains. Everything a good movie needs. Well, Indiana Jones wears a hat. So it's close. Is there horses in that one? I don't know. There's a bunch of them. I can't remember. There may be horses. Well, as silly as this uh, sounds to us, I really believe that this is exactly how the world sees religion of any kind. It doesn't need to be pagan god uh, or blood sacrifices or anything like that. But I think this is really how the world views religion. Um, a deity of whatever name wants people to mindlessly worship it in an effort to control people with fear. Doesn't that sound like a depiction of religion? Just change the name. And really all it is is the evil priest is in charge. Tried to get people to do what he wants. And the fact of the matter is most religions in the world really do follow this pattern. Um, but it is not so with Jesus. It does not follow, following Jesus does not follow this pattern. In my mind, religion is just a man-made system of rules to earn favor with whatever God is named after. And uh, you can look, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Catholicism, they all follow the same pattern, just a system of rules. But following Jesus is not this way, at least not the way that Jesus has defined it for us in his word. In our text this morning describes the events of the second half of a Sabbath day that we looked at last week. So let's look at Mark 1, 29 to 34 together. <clears throat> and immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would per not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. May God's blessing be on his word. So the account of this day we looked at last week started um, with Jesus, Simon Peter. You say Simon here in Mark is Peter, called later Simon Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, and John, his brother. And they're in the synagogue of the in a city, quote unquote, city of Capernaum. And I, when I say city, I mean a little more like Melvin Village than Rochester. Not a big place. 
And Jesus had taught with authority in a synagogue like the people had never heard before. And he cast out a demon, forbidding the demon to speak. And so his fame spread all over the region of Galilee. It's a big day and it's only half over. And some commentators insist that Jesus' fame spread all over the region of Galilee within hours of this synagogue meeting. Well, that's not really the case because this happened on a Sabbath day and people couldn't get anywhere. They couldn't leave town to tell all about Jesus yet. Um, they could only talk on the way home from a synagogue. They, they didn't have Facebook or Twitter uh, to tell the world. It hadn't been invented yet. So I'm sure that this is just a general statement, uh, but the people of Capernaum, that city, certainly knew about Jesus and what had happened in the synagogue that morning. And here's where Jesus breaks the mold of man-made religious systems. In verse 29, And immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, we all know this is not how religion is supposed to work, right? The object of worship is supposed to stay in a building where you worship it, right? He stays in the house of worship. Doesn't Jesus live in this building? That's why we call it God's house, right? No, not, not even remotely. We can no more contain Jesus in this building than we could hold the whole Atlantic Ocean in a Ziploc bag. It's impossible. It's ridiculous to even imagine that. So why do we sometimes act like that's how it works? It seems like a silly idea, and yet, the way we live kind of, maybe just, okay, so the way I live sometimes, I know it's not you, but it's the way I live sometimes is acting the same way. Like, I left church, so Jesus can't, it's not like he's going to follow me home. Oh, oh, right. That's not how it works. So Peter and Andrew, he really did follow them home. Or maybe they followed him, I don't know. But they went to their house. Peter and Andrew didn't leave Jesus at church. They brought him, they brought him, and they brought their friends home with them. And what was waiting for them at home? What was waiting for them at home was real life. Now, religion doesn't have much to do with, like, real life, the realities that we deal with day in and day out. It's just about, well, make sure you go and, and go to the building where the thing happens and you get a checkbox so that whatever deity is not upset with you for, for at least six days. Or you got six days to, to mess it all up and then come back on that seventh day and get it fixed. Right? No. Well, I guess maybe not for you. Real life was waiting for them at home. Verse 30 says, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. This is the only, um, the only place in the Gospels where we see that one of uh, the apostles was married. So there's more to add to our little list of trivia uh, that we talked about last week. Uh, Simon had a mother-in-law. How do you get one of those? Uh, you have to be married in order for that to happen. And I love how Simon Peter didn't 
tell Jesus, maybe wait until next Sabbath to come over and visit because mom is sick, you know, and, you know, just she needs to rest. And uh, we don't want you to get sick. So just keep your distance. Maybe come back next week. That sounds like what we would do. That's what I would do. My kids are sick, man. Maybe, maybe you come next week. Come another day. Instead, Peter invited Jesus into his home with his family. And by doing that, he's sharing his burdens. He's sharing real life. He's sharing his burdens as well as his blessings. And this is what happens when we don't leave Jesus at church. Religion leaves Jesus in the house of worship. Relationship with Jesus invites him into our homes and into our families and making our houses, our houses, houses of worship. That's how it's supposed to work. One of the things I like about the Bible study that Nate is leading, and we can pray for Nate, he's in Iowa uh, for a week. Um, one of the things I like about the Bible study material he's using, uh, participating in the mission of the church, is an emphasis on making our homes ministry centers. Like religion says, this building, ministry center. This is where ministry happens. Will you ever stop by here in the middle of the week? Some very uh, select few do, right? But uh, this this building dark most of the time. There's not a lot of people in and out of here. So if this is a ministry center, what does that say about ministry? Oh, well, we better fill up our calendar with events then, right? But no, when our homes become ministry centers, our lives become engaged in ministry. It does not need to be here. We can certainly use this building as a blessing. Um, but if we can do it at home with other people in our homes, this is a New Testament model, right? <clears throat> it's no surprise at all that when they invited Jesus and shared their burden with him, invited him in, that Jesus met their need. There's no mystery to that. That's how Jesus is. Verse 30, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Instead of saying, Jesus, my mother-in-law said, maybe come back next week. Now, the moral of the story is clearly not invite Jesus home and he'll solve all your problems. That's what, wouldn't that be great? Always say those words like a magic spell. Jesus, come home with me and my bills are paid and uh, no problems at all. That would be wonderful. Hmm. I think what we do see here is Jesus compassion. And the fact that this healing wasn't done in public, but done in private, an in-home healing shows that Jesus didn't heal people because he wanted attention. This was not the latest on uh, Jesus' marketing uh, strategy. If I heal people in public, people will believe in me. No, that's not. He had compassion here on this family. He healed people to authenticate his message. 
And his message is the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And when he healed this woman, it's authenticating that message. It's further proving to Peter and Andrew and James and John and Peter's wife, who doesn't have a name, uh, that Jesus is really Messiah. And after being healed, Simon Peter's mother-in-law did what any mother-in-law would do, I think. Jesus made her, made her feel better, so she made him lunch. Well, that's how they spent their afternoon. And what a wonderful afternoon that must have been. Right? But it's also not, uh, not available to us. We can't have the same wonderful type of afternoon with the Lord Jesus. Just don't leave him here. Bring him home and maybe bring a friend. And unlike them, they had to eat their lunch cold because it's a Sabbath. They couldn't warm anything up. <clears throat> We've set free from that. We get to eat lunch together today. So here's how they, sp- they s- that is how they spend their afternoon. Verse 32 starts the description of their evening together. This was obviously after the football game was over. <laughs> Verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Here's another opportunity to polish up your Bible trivia knowledge. Why is it important? It says it's happened at sundown. Sabbath is over. Now everybody's free to travel. You know, the pilot turned off the fastened seatbelt line, not light, and everybody's all over the place. And they, where do you think they go? They went to where Jesus was. That evening at sundown marked the end of the Sabbath. People are free to move around. So they brought to Jesus everybody who was sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered at the door. The whole city. Can you imagine a crowd? It's probably about the same size as this crowd today. The commentator said that Mark may have been exaggerating a little bit, but I've been to Capernaum. I think he was telling the truth. It's this very small place, not a big place. I believe he said what he meant. The whole town came. Why wouldn't they? And here I see, here I think you see how religion works. The whole city was gathered at the door. Everybody came to where Jesus was. Some to get healed. Some to get freedom from demons. They came to get deliverance from their troubles. Isn't that what religion is for? Come to Jesus and make all your problems go away. Some came just to watch the spectacle. Can you imagine? Somebody came in here with the demon and Jesus cast the demon out. Did we get to see that happen? Who wouldn't want to watch that show? Maybe people just came to see Jesus perform miracles or do something spectacular. My tendency to think that because their motivation may not have been pure, that Jesus should have refused. Look, you guys are just here for a show. I'm not going to do that. You're just, you're just here to see something spectacular. I'm not interested in that. 
No, we'll not do that today. There are two problems with that. First problem is the text doesn't say that their motivation was wrong. It doesn't say anything about their motivation to come to Jesus. That's just my assumption, is that they're just come for a show or for some bad reason. Because I think that nobody can follow rule number one, and everybody that's ever been born is a jerk. And I'm at the top of the list. Bible doesn't say anything about their motivation to come. And the second problem, and more importantly, is Jesus' willingness to intervene in people's lives is not based on their motivations or moral purity. It's only by His grace that He intervenes in anyone's life at all. Rats! I want to think that because I'm doing it right, Jesus is going to bless me more. Uh, no, that's not how it works. To me, these two problems exposes the real problem. And I pray that this really is only me and not you. The underlying problem is sometimes we only want to allow Jesus to speak and to act at certain times and in certain ways. And we often feel the need to define those times. And define those ways as if he needs our permission. Jesus, I'm fine obeying you as long as it's not inconvenient to me. It doesn't cost me anything. Jesus belongs at church on Sundays, not at the water cooler on Monday. He can come to prayer meeting, but not to football practice. He can work in the lives of nice people or clean people, but he better not bring in anybody that doesn't look and think or smell like us. What does that sound like to you? To me, it sounds like a bunch of mindless zombies droning away in front of some statue. That's not the faith in Jesus that the Bible describes. That's not at all what he wants for us. This account is not included in Scripture as a promise that if you invite Jesus home from church that he'll heal your mother-in-law. What is that? That's superstition. This account is not included in Scripture as a warning to make sure your motivation is pure or that your act is all cleaned up before you can come to Jesus. That's empty religion. It's worthless. This account was included in Scripture so that we could see that if we allow Jesus into all the parts of our lives, not just the religious parts, that he will meet our greatest need. And that may not be to be healed of some sickness. Our greatest need may not be that uh, all our financial problems and difficulties will be solved. Our greatest need is a restored relationship with Father God. Not based on our own works, not based on our own worthiness, but based on Jesus' works and Jesus' worthiness. Search your hearts, my friends. 
if you have only allowed Jesus into the parts of your life, just limited parts, limiting him to the socially acceptable religious norms and have not given him access to all areas and all parts of your life, I pray that if the Holy Spirit shows that to you, that you would turn over those areas and trust him with your whole life. Jesus did not die on the cross so we could just go through religious exercises. Jesus did not die on the cross so that all our temporary problems would be fixed. Jesus came and lived and taught and died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of God so that our greatest need would be met, that we would have a way to have our relationship with God our Father restored permanently. There is no promise in Scripture that says, have faith in Jesus, your problems are solved. Come to Jesus and now no more trouble at work. Come to Jesus, no more health problem anymore. There's no promise in Scripture that says that. It's in fact quite the opposite. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. <laughs> what a comforting promise that is. But that's only the first half of the promise. In this world you will have troubles, but take heart for I have overcome the world. All our problem, all our troubles, all our difficulties, all our trials are given to us, designed by God to bring us to Him. Not blame Him and drive us away, but to recognize our powerlessness to solve our problems and His powerfulness to meet our greatest need. If you have only ever, if, <clears throat> if you have only ever allowed Jesus into the acceptable religious parts, knock it off. Jesus wants your whole life and he will change the whole thing. And if you have never allowed Jesus into any part of your life, if you've never really get, allowed him access, if you've only ever trusted yourself to be a good enough person with a vague hope that that you will maybe be good enough to meet God someday, invite him now into your life. Accept his forgiveness. Accept that his death on the cross was for you to bear your sins. Allow him access to all the parts of your life so that he can make you whole, so that he can make you new. That's his promise. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, this seems so simple as we sit here. The idea of allowing Jesus into every every area of our life and every part of us, it seems simple as we sit here. It seems easy. But we're not going to stay sitting here. We're not going to stay where it's easy. It's easy to believe in Jesus sitting here in a church building. Everybody knows what we're here to do. But when we leave, 
when we go out into the world, it's a little bit harder. And it's only by your grace that anything can be done. It's only by the power of your spirit that we can follow your instruction here this morning to allow you into every area of our lives. And Lord, I pray that as we sit here, that you would be examining us, that you would show us by the power of your spirit the things that we have not entrusted to you, the parts of our lives we've been keeping for ourselves, maybe the sin that we we don't really want to repent of because we like it or it uh, it satisfies us in some way. Lord, shine a light of your Holy Spirit in our dark places so that we would allow you access into every piece of us. And Father, for those that have never allowed you in at all here this morning, I pray that they too would open a door of faith to you, that you would come into them and live with them, forgive their sin, make them clean and new, adopt them as your child. All they have to do is open their heart to you and you will come in. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. May your spirit continue to use it even as we leave. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890. 